0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito and I'm joined by the amazing uh noble and uh serene. Ryan's son? <laughs> yes, Ryan's son is joining us.
1: <gasps> noble Barbara, Barbara. and serene. Yeah.
0: You like that? Yeah. I don't know if it's true. No. No. It's it's not the serene that. part is. You're really? very um, it's
1: because you have the lights dimmed so low in I know, here.
0: and it gets dark so early. We're yes. recording this uh, at like 5 p.m., and so it's basically nighttime. It's like the
1: middle of the night.
0: Here in Seattle, Washington. Yeah. Yeah. So Dragon Talk, we talk about things that have to do with both dungeons and dragons, Yeah. not one or the other, oh. always both.
1: Always both, comes um,
0: up. And so that means Volo's Guide to Monsters is out everywhere. Yes. You can buy it on the Amazons, on the Barnes & yeah. Nobles, and more importantly, in your friendly local game store hopefully because... they still have it. Hopefully they still have an alternate cover uh, designed by Hydro 74 that has the amazing Mind Flayer blah, 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 so tentacles cool. on there. So cool. Um, and there's great monsters such as uh, orcs. No one's ever heard of them before. No, that's um, crazy. Goblins, no. totally brand new. No. But you get to know all about them, all about their their gods and their and their lives and how it all works and make your villains really bad.
1: And once you get your book and you read your book and you want to know more about your book, you should go back and listen to that podcast we did with Jeremy and Emmy. That's right. It that was one of my favorite podcasts.
0: It was. You can find out how all the magic is made, how yeah. the zhuzhing happens.
1: The zhuzhing. Yeah. And how to spell zhuzhing. <laughs>
0: The zhuzhening. I started yes. spelling it with an X, and then both Emmy was like, ooh, I like your spelling. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe that could just be our spelling. I think
0: I think so. We have to convince Jeremy, because he was like, oh, no, the Oxford. The uh, editor. The editor, yeah. He was like, the Chicago style, manual style, it's says zhuzhening. The forgotten
1: realm style <laughs> is with an X.
0: From now on. Talk to him about that. We'll make it happen. Okay. All right. Uh, and speaking of... Jeremy Crawford. Yeah. We have, uh, well, we, first of all, we have a wonderful guest uh, coming uh, uh, to speak to us. David Reed from Meta Arcade uh, is there to talk to us about uh, uh, a product called Tunnels and Trolls. Awesome. For mobile. We'll get all about that. Also, his history with Dungeons and Dragons. But before that, we've got a new segment. It's Jeremy Crawford talking, uh, giving us some stage advice. Oh, that's amazing. About Dungeons and Dragons rules. Cool. Uh, so, uh, lore season. you should know is also coming back. Uh, so we'll mix it up here well, and thank there. God,
1: because that's pretty much all I hear about. We have about a this lot. Podcast.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. Lore, 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 lore. So the people talk little... love
1: lore. You should know
0: exactly, and we'll, we will always be mixing it up with new and exciting stuff. So, without further ado, okay, Mr. Jamie Crawford. It. Welcome to a new-ish segment called Sage Advice, uh, where we speak to uh, Jeremy E. Crawford. I I assume that is your middle name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: My middle name is Eric.
0: Eric. Ah, okay. Uh, About um, some rules, questions. Uh, Those of you may know, uh, Jeremy speaks on Twitter as well as in the column Sage Advice on dnd.com. Um, delving into some, some rules, clarifications, talking about the mechanics and why some of the uh, rulings that are, are, are the way they are uh, for fifth edition, uh, but I thought it might be good to go to delve into some of these a little bit more through a conversational style. Not everybody is able to follow you on Twitter or uh, uh, look at the column, so we're going to delve into some of those questions, and today it is the question of the lucky feat. This has uh, generated a lot of, of questions over the life of 5th edition so hopefully we'll clear it up uh, here for everyone. So
2: Jeremy what has been one of the one of the common uh, questions people have? So so the Lucky Feed is actually something I addressed in the Sage of Ice column uh, I think it was last year and this is one of those uh, areas of the game where I keep getting questions and in fact my answer generated <laughs> even more questions. <laughs> um, and which is yeah one one reason i was glad you brought it up as something for us to talk about here the gist of the feat is it it lets you with with these three luck points that it gives you it lets you when you make an attack roll an ability check or a saving throw roll an additional die by spending one of those luck points and then choosing which roll to use mm-hmm. either the original roll or the new one that was generated by your luck point. Now there's an even further twist because you could also spend a luck point uh, when somebody else makes an attack roll against you and then you can decide whether the attacker uses your roll or the roll generated by your luck point. Now that all seems pretty straightforward. Uh, The feat uh, lets you decide to spend the point uh, after you roll the die uh, but before the outcome is determined, this just simply what that means is y- you've got to do this before, like you've actually taken the damage. Right. Uh, you don't get to roll back time, um, but you can see you can turn back time. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> but only if you sing the song. <laughs> um, uh, and so that that's pretty straightforward. And that's not where the questions lie. Where the questions come in uh, is what happens if there's advantage or disadvantage on the roll, and then you decide to use a luck point.
0: Mm.
2: Now, looking at the text of the feat, I made a ruling on in, in the Sage Advice column, which is what I would refer to as a raw ruling. Raw, not as in uncooked. Um, rule but, as written. <laughs> but rule as written. Uh, and based on the text of the feat, uh, it says you spend the luck point and you roll a die, which lets you roll an additional d20, and you get to choose which of the dice is used in the end. Mm-hmm. So, based on that, my ruling was based on the text we published, if you have advantage or disadvantage, it still works this way. You pick which roll to use. Now, Our listeners, I think everyone knows how advantage and disadvantage work, but just for the sake of this conversation, I'll quickly summarize it. You have have advantage. Uh, On a roll, it means you roll a second d20, and you use the higher of the two dice. You have disadvantage. Instead, you roll a second d20 and use the lower of the two dice. Again, the lucky feat is sort of agnostic when it comes to disadvantage and, and advantage and just says you spend a luck point, you roll a die and you choose which of the dice to use. What that means is in the context where you have advantage or disadvantage, you have three dice on the table because advantage and disadvantage tell you roll an additional die and then the lucky feat is letting you roll yet another die. So you have three dice you now get to choose from. Now what caused some blowback is, People weren't too concerned about uh, this interacting with advantage because uh, advantage already lets you use the higher of the two dice. Right, um, and naturally, in most cases, when you use the the luck point, you're going to you're also going to pick uh, the highest of the dice. Where it gets wacky is you have disadvantage, and disadvantage typically forces you to use uh, the the die with the lowest number on it. But now the you know the lucky feet comes marching in and says, Nope, you get to pick the die. Uh, and so what then that this creates the situation of, wait, I thought I had disadvantage, but this feat is basically letting me turn disadvantage into a form of advantage. And yeah. that is exactly what the feat is doing. Uh, it is basically saying when you are at your unluckiest. Uh, lady luck is stepping in and helping you out. Mm. Uh, And it is precisely at that moment when you most need it, when you're going to be now suddenly the luckiest. Uh, Unless you're like me, where when I have advantage, I get things like, a three on one of the the dice and a four on the other. Right. So so it's like,
0: I still (laughs) fail. What is uh, it? Greg Bilsen, our former colleague, used to call that sad vantage.
2: Yes, yes. And I I almost always have sad vantage. (laughs) (laughs) It it is extremely rare for it to ever work out in my favor. So why,
0: in your ruling, why do you still get to
2: choose, I guess, is the question. I mean, I, I get So, So the reason is. Uh, In the game, a a general rule is always overridden by an exception Mm. when the exception and the general rule conflict with each other. The general rule is, for advantage and and disadvantage, that you have to take either the highest or the lowest of the dice. But here the lucky feat comes in. It's an exception. And it completely ignores advantage and disadvantage Mm. and tells you, you just pick the die. Uh, it, you know, it 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 has uh, no, um, it makes no provisions for advantage and disadvantage. It's basically whatever the, whatever this pool of dice is in front of you, you pick the one you're going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it works. It works that way. Now here is where I will bring you and the listeners behind the curtain a little bit. Okay. This is where we get into the difference between rules. As written and rules as intended. Mm. Really, the way I run this feat at my table is typically I have advantage or disadvantage kick in on the original roll, then have the lucky feat applied. So I would I would in the way I would typically run it is the person rolls the d20, and let's say they have disadvantage. So they'd roll the second d20. Then they take the lower of those two dice. Then they just spend their luck point, they roll a d20, and they choose which of those two uh, to use. So they're still getting to do exactly what the feat said, which, yeah. which is pick which one to use. But they're picking after disadvantage has been applied to the original roll. Um, it, it is certainly not our intent in any way that, that this feat get used, that disadvantage would be applied to the die that the lucky feat generates Uh, because then there would be no point uh, in many ways because then you would just be giving yourself an additional chance to roll an even lower number (laughs) And and you would basically then never use lucky when you have disadvantage. And again, the whole point of this feat is you're going to have luck when you need it most. Right. So now that all said, if people run it, The way it's written and the way I ruled in the sage advice column, they're good. It's Um, still
0: they have your blessing.
2: They have my blessing. I mean, that's that's the ruling I gave. Right. Um, The way I run it in my home game is closer to our design intent. Mm. Um, Yeah, because essentially the way
0: you did wrote it in the sage advice column, it's to a player who has the lucky feats advantage to have disadvantage. Yes, As mathematically. Yes. Because you're having a pool of three dice is always going to have a higher chance of you getting a higher number than a pool of just two dice. Exactly. Even if that two dice has that money hole problem of like, well, you're eliminating one and you still have a higher advantage now. So I could see some clever player who would be like, well, I want to make sure I'm attacking from the darkness and I haven't used my luck points because that's that way I'll be I'll have, the, the, you know, the, the, the best success because I have I can do this and that seems to be against the philosophy
2: of the of feet. It might be, but it doesn't break the game to run it that way. True. And that's why we haven't uh, issued a rata for the feat. Uh, we are very conservative about uh, changing things once they're in the game uh, because we don't want to disrupt uh, people's play experience. I've had my eye on this feat for a long time, uh, once I realized it went to print and it's like, well, this mostly expresses our intent. <laughs> uh, but that is not enough, a, a piece of the game not fully succeeding at expressing our intent is not enough of a justification for us to change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason why I say that is, as soon as the game is published, My philosophy as the one who is the steward of D&D's rules, my philosophy is as soon as we published it, it no longer belonged to us, it belongs to our fans. Mm -hmm. And DMs are running D&D every week. I mean, I'm sure there are people playing D&D as we record this. (laughs) And the last thing I want to do is unleash endless chaos on our DMs by changing the rules you know kind of willy-nilly and whenever we discover another place or oof this is not mm. not entirely expressing what was in our heads uh because in, in a game that's as text he- heavy as D, there's always going to be something that slips by where like right. well we expressed 90 percent of our intent when that happens what we do is we, we observe our own play because mm-hmm. uh, we all you know we all play in dm D on a regular basis uh, we look at the feedback we get at fans. We look at conversations on Reddit, on uh, forums, on Twitter. And we see, you know, is this thing that isn't fully expressing our intent, is it causing real pain at the table? Mm. Not theoretical problems. Because one thing we've gotten out of the habit of is letting theoretical problems steer the course of the game. Right. Yes, this feat has some theoretical issues. But until I see theory Generating actual problems in practice and actual pain at the game table, you know arguments game the game screeching to a halt Mm. um, I am not that likely to sort of escalate it to a level where I feel all right It's time for us to change a rule Um, Now if something is just missing information Like a, a game mechanic is incomplete and in that lack of completeness renders it non-functional or barely functional, yeah. absolutely then we'll change it. Right. Uh, because, and, then, and that's
0: why we have done errata exactly. uh, and, and yeah. made things better.
2: Yeah. Uh, but in this case, this is a case where the feat uh, doesn't 100% express our intent, but the way it's written it actually works. And I have to say that uh, Mike Merles and I have both come to have a certain affection for the bonkazonks form the fetus in right now, because as we thought about it, uh, it is just sort of crazy that it, again is this idea of when you're at your most unlucky, right. Suddenly you're you're luckiest.
0: And I like that both of you lashed onto it as a story reason as to why, as written, it makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because you can you can imagine a, a character who's down on their luck at the mm-hmm. yeah right as you said in their most dire straits, and then you know. Uh, this kicks in and they're kind of able to and that instead of causing pain at the table, I can see that causing a yeah, like a cheer uh, yes. uh, uh, from players. And whenever that happens, that's good. Absolutely. Uh, and, and and people are having fun. So
2: and and let's say this feat was instead giving you uh, instead of an additional roll of a die, a big bonus. Mm. Let's say you spend a luck point, and you get to add five to your roll or, or some other number then i would be far more concerned about an unintended consequence like the one we have in the feet currently mm. because then that bonus would give you the ability to do something you could not otherwise do right the thing i always uh, like to remind people if when they start getting nervous about advantage and disadvantage or in this case like super advantage we're here now rolling 3 dice and you get to pick one to use again most often it's going to be the highest one so that's why it's sort of like super advantage the reason why the, the world is not going to come tumbling down in terms of the system is this kind of reroll scheme will never generate a result that was not already possible. Uh, because it is not adding to your number. Uh, you were going to be rolling a D20 anyway. Right. And that range of numbers was already possible.
0: Right, The DC or the target uh, uh, armor class or whatever is not going to be something that is astronomical that you had when you had a plus 10 or a plus 5 or something like that. It's still it's like another another shot,
2: yes. another chance of the same calculations. Exactly. Um, and this is, this, you know, sometimes people will, when trying to figure out the numerical value of, uh, of advantage and disadvantage, will sometimes boil it down to, well, advantage is basically like getting plus 5 to your roll, and disadvantage is like getting a negative 5. That's only true in very narrow circumstances, because they come at that by looking at the various you know, probabilities and whatnot. That feels like a statistician's way to right. break it down, right. but that's but, not what is actually happening. And, and it's not accurate because, again, a plus, a, a true bonus mm-hmm. can actually make, like a, a true bonus to uh, your attack roll could make it possible for you to hit an armor class that you could not hit without that bonus. Exactly. Whereas advantage will never give you the ability to hit an armor class that you couldn't hit before because it's still just going to generate a number between 1 and 20 that you were already going to be generating. Right. Um, and so it's... And I like that there's more drama to it as well. I mean, so yes. you can imagine...
0: Situations where the disadvantage kicks in, you failed, and you're like, "Well, wait, I got my luck thing," and Mm -hmm. then everybody, and suddenly around the table is engaged and wants to see what that third role is going to be, Uh, or you know, if they're rolling three at a time or whatever, it's still like you know, it's 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 a focal point and a nice storytelling moment, a meta storytelling moment uh, with you and your friends. Absolutely. Instead of a even if uh, uh, if somebody had a big bonus of it, the only person who really knows that that bonus is happening is the player, a single player, instead of it being a communal, you know, uh, everyone at the table kind of getting it too. So I, I like that interpretation as well. Yeah,
2: and the, that narrative angle is something that is always in our minds when we evaluate the mechanics in the game. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, D&D is a storytelling game, and every mechanic that we design, especially player mechanics – not only need to provide something fun that the character can do whether it's in combat or in exploration or in social interaction but it also needs to be something that contributes to the narrative of the game and if a thing like the lucky feet in its current form can provide some pretty gonzo and sometimes really funny, or really exciting results in the narrative, right. we're usually gonna look at it pretty kindly. Uh, especially if it isn't truly breaking anything in terms of the game's underlying math. And fifth edition's math is very resilient. Uh, it's a system we've designed to handle big swings. Uh, the fifth edition is meant to have moments of drama. Uh, that's why you have r- like really big highs sometimes with crits. Uh, why uh, you know numbers can sometimes crash and be really low. Like mm. you can cast your fireball and oh my gosh, I rolled ones on all my d sixes. I've had I've had close to that happen to me before, <laughs> and and the system is designed for those highs and those lows uh, because we want there to be moments of excitement, uh, moments that surprise even the dungeon master, uh, so it isn't all predictable uh, and. We also want those dramatic moments so that people can tell stories about them because often people's favorite moments at the game table are these crazy moments where, oh, my God, you know, like that knight who just gave the the, the super heroic speech, and the, but that guy always kind of has a stick up his butt. He just marched in and he rolled a one on his on his D twenty. And even though the group might even have been rooting for him hitting that dragon, everyone always kind of might also laugh, like, well, that's what you get for making that big speech. On the flip side, there's that moment where, you know, the the little guy, you know, the little halfling, he's brave, and oh my gosh, there's the demon lord in front of them and they're trying to save the world, and it seems impossible. And oh my God, the number he's trying to hit seems so hard to hit. But then, oh, he gets that twenty. Yeah, and the world is saved.
0: Or uh, you know, he, yeah, he fails and he gets that one more because of his lucky feet. Yeah, it kicks yeah. in and yeah. you're like, great. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. and Excellent. so and so the, again, the, the, yeah, those highs and lows for, uh, are, are part of the game's bread and butter. I love it.
0: Excellent. All right, cool. Well, good uh, uh, discussion on lucky feet. Hopefully, we've given some stage advice to folks uh, on how to run that at the table. Um, I like I personally like your interpretation uh, on how you would run at the table. so oh how, how I do it at home. Yeah, I think yeah. that makes that makes the most sense at least in my brain and it's good to hear uh, uh, you know your proponent of that as well. so thank you again
2: and and in fact, I even I think in the game's first year tweeted out that as the interpretation of the feat right. um, and and some fans wondered why when I did the official ruling in the column, why I didn't repeat what I'd done before, well honestly it's because when I did that initial tweet I was doing it simply based on my memory mm. and what I had in my head as our design intent for it but when I came when it came time to write the column and I examined the text it was basically like well that isn't quite what we published yeah and my my official rulings always have to be based on the game we actually published and and not the version of it that's in my head and I also just love that I mean
0: the whole framing of Sage Advice is, it is just advice. It is what what you do at your table is the Dungeon Master's uh, purview. Ab- absolutely. Can, and we can provide guidance and, you know, this is how we would do it or this is how it's as written, uh, and, uh, but ultimately it's up to you. So I, I, I love that we're, we're able to provide that, provide that here.
2: And, and it, yeah, it's worth, it's worth uh, repeating something I've often said in the column that even though I was one of the two lead designers of the game, I'm the lead rules developer of the game. Nothing I say about rules ever overrides what a person's DM says. Uh, that the rules and I are basically here as butlers you know, <laughs> to, to the DM. We, we arrive, you know, with the, the system on a tray, and it is our job to make sure the DM has the, the, the tools uh, that he or she needs to run a fun game. But at the end of the day, it is the DM who makes the call. Nice. Uh, and, and everything I say, it's just it's advice. Excellent.
0: Cool. All right. Where can uh, uh, people ask you more questions or uh, uh, suggest uh, discussions about like this uh, for for some rules uh, in?
2: Twitter is a great place to reach me. Uh, I can be reached at at Jeremy E. Crawford and if a person has a more complex question that doesn't fit in the 140 characters of a tweet <laughs> which happens often yes they can they can reach me at uh, com. that's an email address perfect All right. thanks a lot jeremy yeah thank you all right
0: oh man i could listen to jeremy talk uh, about rules for about 10 minutes.
1: Well, <laughs> well, you sit, like, two desks away from him. It's true, so I know. So you I've, could and do listen to him all day.
0: My ears perk up, and he's like, oh, okay.
1: <gasps> Jeremy's talking. Jeremy's talking. Oh, Jeremy. And everybody,
0: like, gathers around yes. him, and they're, like, you know, sniffing their coffee. And
1: mm-hmm. Yep. No. And like sometimes we wipe tears from our cheeks. And that's why He's we wanted so to- so sh- sage. He's just so He's, sage.
0: It's why we wanted to share it with you, our wonderful podcast listeners. So thank mm-hmm. you for that. Uh, but now uh, it's on to our guest, Mr. David Reed. Hello. Hello. David Reed. Hello, folks.
1: Hello. We're
0: going to pretend that he just walked in, but he was next to us this entire time.
1: That's impossible.
0: It's as quiet as I've been in decades. Eh? <laughs> Really you got to really contain it. You got to hold it in. Really you know,
1: especially when we were talking about Jeremy. Yeah, he's like oh my god, and he's like, I got things oh, to say. I got to ask him a question.
3: So uh, you are the CEO and president of Meta Arcade. Exactly right. Oh. We're a Seattle area indie developer, and we're building a platform to allow anyone who can tell a story to create their own adventure game for mobile devices and computers without any artistic or technical talent required. Oh,
1: now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. pretend we're on an infomercial. (laughs) It is a little bit. That's crazy talk. That sounds like I could make a game. That's
3: exactly the aspiration. (laughs) I
1: can know how to tell a
0: story. Just set it and forget
3: it. (laughs) Uh,
1: I can cook a pot roast in 10 minutes. (laughs) Now, wait. No, seriously, tell me more about this. No,
3: the the inspiration really is around the... uh, in many ways, you look at what's happened in platforms today on the content side. Things like Twitch and WordPress have empowered people who aren't technical to make great things. And I have a
1: website on WordPress.
3: See, and and you know, I, I trust you're more digitally savvy than a lot of the people out there, right? Nope. But it's uh, even still, <laughs> even still, even even things today in the game space that are out there that allow people to make games tend to be more technical than most people have yeah. the time or the ambition to figure it out. But we're all storytellers, and all of us who've played Dungeons & Dragons all these years, we know that, right? That every gamer has a story to tell. It's not hard on a technical level to think in terms of imagine a WordPress-style content management system. You sit down at your computer and type in your narrative, and we can keep a track of your branching narrative as you go. For each beat in your story or each room in your adventure, we have an archive of art that you'll pull in a piece of art. We have an archive of audio you listen to, and you can listen to music and sound effects crunch that thing together and voila, an executable that'll run on mobile and on computers. What? Yeah, we're building it in Unity, so it works across all these platforms. And if you choose, you'll be able to publish those things out to places like uh, the Apple App Store, Google Play, Steam, and if people play and buy your adventure, you'll make a revenue share just like in the way Steam Workshop operates.
1: Do people? Do you give people guidance on how to, to do that, how to publish in app stores? And...
3: We are very early on this front, okay. but yes, that is the plan, is okay. that it'll be a, think of it as a, you know, again, WordPress is the inspiration in many ways of just how simple it is -hmm. to do this, right? And Mm -hmm. that, you know, my mom can make a website this way and she was never taught to do that. Uh, In the same way, right, the, the notion of, you know, you have your framework, you have your typing and your narrative, you're pulling an art, you're looking through archives, things, the compilation, the rules engine happens under the hood. We remaster the rules under there and keep it pretty simple. And the experience is you're playing the game as a player as opposed to the creator, right? Once you're actually playing one of these adventures, it is kind of like, uh, in many ways, the old choose-your-own-adventure books, mm-hmm. if you will, right? There's art for each important moment. There's storyline. There's choices with an RPG engine. So you have a persistent character, you roll digital dice for combat and saving rolls and other hazards that may emerge, mm-hmm. and your persistent character levels up as you survive an adventure, go into another one, it's more challenging, spend your gold, spend your experience points, and off you go to the next big thing. That's very cool.
0: I, I When I was a kid I played, uh, or read, <laughs> played slash read a yeah. series of books called uh, Lone Wolf. Sure. That I, was very similar to that idea, where yes. you, know, you had a persistent character, you were telling a story, but there was Choose your own adventure style, you know, uh, choices you can make, um, and then a random number generator in the back. It was basically like here's a chart of random numbers, and you waved your pencil back and forth to try right. to pick the random number um so it sounds like that's where the magic of of mobile
3: and and everything is the the, the rng is all right there exactly you know you've got so much computing power now in these mobile devices that things that we all as tabletop gamers as kids used to do right you know all that admin is handled under the hood the rules Mm -hmm. engine is is fairly invisible to you you know how to play but you don't have to be a game designer to write one of these adventures and to make it happen and things like that and We've started with uh, a license that maybe some of your listeners will know. Uh, Mm -hmm. Everybody, I think, knows what the first RPG that was ever published is, and that, of course, is Dungeons and Dragons. It was? Okay. It was. Yeah. Just in case, just in case everybody was Uh, nervous. (laughs) I got nervous for a little bit. That one right. But the second one, the second game RPG ever published was a game called Tunnels and Trolls. It came out in 1975. There you go. And so that's the first one, that's the first uh, game we've brought in. And for the prototype of what we've done for our platform, we've brought on the it's the fourth solitaire adventure ever published for TNT. It was the second game ever made. But it was the first to feature solitaire adventures. And some of those early ones even predate the first Choose Your Own Adventure books. So again, you can think of it in that same sort of style of you're, you're flipping through a book and you're looking, to go to paragraph X, go to paragraph Y, roll your combat and things. This whole engine works very, very nicely now in a digital format. And so the first adventure we brought in is called Naked Doom. It is the fourth adventure that was ever published for Tunnels and Trolls, and it's a particularly challenging one. Uh, you are, as the player, you are a Brand new first level warrior. You have no magical ability, you have no equipment, you have no experience. You
1: have no clothes. You clearly. have no
3: that's exactly right. You have no naked, clothes. Get it. You got oh, it. Oh I thought the doom was naked.
1: You're, <laughs> no, you're
3: naked, naked. poaching your doom. That's right. exactly what it is. You are a, a <laughs> criminal convicted of some unknown offense in the seat of imperial power in Kazan, the capital city of Troll World. And in order to get your freedom, you have to negotiate through this dungeon of traps and poisons and monsters and it has a very high fatality rate. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so that's but that's the prototype we put together to try this out, and brought in a bunch of the original art from the original Adventures, published in 1977. Uh, as it turns out, we also were able to secure some art through a partnership with the Josh Kirby estate, and I would guess people may not know his name here in the U.S. He's mm. from the U.K., but they know a lot of his work. He was an artist for a number of the full color covers of literary giants like. Hitchcock and Isaac Asimov and Ian Fleming. Uh, His most famous stuff is the full color covers of Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Uh So if you've seen those, you've seen his work. And um, amazingly prolific guy who in the midst of all that work managed to illustrate about a dozen different Tunnels and Trolls adventures really? in the 80s oh, through the UK publication that was happening for those for Corgi books. And so one of those was Naked Doom. And so we were able to bring that art into the prototype. So now you have some of the original art from oh, cool. Robin People Carver. love that. Exactly. You have some Josh Kirby art. And then we also have brought in some new art from uh, an artist who was uh, very early on with Tunnels and Trolls. Um, but has gone on to do a number of things, including magic cards and some work, uh, other work for Wizards Properties, Liz Danforth, who oh. has been involved with TNT from the very beginning and was part of the group that got back together the Fellowship of the Troll in 2013 <laughs> to do a Kickstarter for Deluxe Tunnels and Trolls. And so we've oh, based wow. the game so far on those rules, and we had Liz do some brand new illustrations because there are some seminal rooms. If you think back to those early, early adventures... You know, you'd have twenty, thirty pages in a book, and maybe there'd be one illustration on a page, right? Uh, in a in a booklet of a hundred rooms, and there's only twenty pieces of art. Some work for more than one room, but sometimes you just need some brand new illustrations. And so Liz yeah. contributed some new illustrations for the work as well. And that's the first one we've got, and we're cranking out more as we go. We we took the prototype to Gen Con and to PAX West, and got a best of show from mmorpg.com. That's awesome. Yeah, for best mobile MMO or RPG, and we're heading into our early access period now. We actually will begin our sneak peek of Naked Doom this week, is what it looks like now. Ooh, cool. So Start to let people know. And so, be a-
1: how will people? How is? It, when you said early access, mm-hmm. is it like a limited number of people are going to get? Yeah, we're
3: going to. We're you know we're a tiny little indie right now, right? There's just a few of us working on this, and and so but we are starting to open it up. I mean we've had. Thousands of people between Gen Con and PAX sign up and we will be, for people who have signed up and and registered for Early Access, we'll start bringing them in through what we're calling the Sneak Peek Program. So Mm -hmm. basically, it's just Naked Doom, and it's just to give people a taste of what this is going to look like, and you just make sure this moment-to-moment experience works. The idea is fun, that people like what we're doing before we start building a bunch of systems around that. Mm. Uh, That process, you know, we'll open it up to a small number of people first. We'll make sure nothing's breaking, and then we'll just ramp up from there, as you would do with any sort of, you know, early access alpha beta style program. Yeah.
0: It will it be available only on mobile, or are you thinking about a, a Steam version or some or oh, like yeah. PC version? Oh, yeah.
3: Mobile and computer, right? So okay. right now we've already got the builds working on iOS, Android, PC, and Mac. Okay. And hmm. so, yeah, I would expect that, uh, you know, I mean, here we are in in the greater Seattle area. I would expect that we'd be talking to Steam. We attended Steam Dev Days, and I would think putting this on Steam makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, because I I, I know a lot of people love playing stuff on their phones, but there are those uh, uh, people who like even smaller Oh, i sized say yeah. stuff like this uh, on the on the PC. So that would be great.
3: Well, and, and I think when it comes to actually creating adventures, right, you're going right. to want to do that on a computer. You don't right? want to be typing yeah. on your on your. <laughs> I mean, I see my kids are capable of great things on smartphones and tablets, sure. but, but I don't think I'm writing anything big on on something like have that. The, have you been using them as uh, test beds as well to be like, here, play this? It's been great because I'll tell you what, I uh, I am a long term RPG player, and you know, before coming into doing this on my own, one of the jobs I held was with CCP Games the mighty Icelandic developer of Eve Online. And we moved the family to Iceland for a year as part oh. of that. Oh wow. And I thought, among many other things, this would be the time that I would get my kids to play tabletop games with me, right? And so I brought all my DD stuff. I brought a bunch of miniatures, a lot of rule books. And and I just you know my kids for whatever it's worth are 12 and 11 now and I just could not get them this they were like eight and nine at the time couldn't quite get them interested in it, it was a little too slow for them mm. to go through all the tabletop stuff um, and that's probably me as a teacher more than anything else but but what I found right was when I put this in front of them in a digital. Platform and they were able to play it on on an iPad or or on a, a you know the smartphone. Uh, suddenly it was different. Like suddenly they started, ooh, this is really neat because I'm reading, I'm making decisions. This isn't just click 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 like a lot of mobile entertainment is. They were pretty fired up about it, so I took that as a good sign. And we yeah. saw a similar trend with with kids who came by at Gen Con and PAX. You know, mm-hmm. for the most part. The Tunnels and Trolls brand, of course, is known to adults and older gamers. Uh, whereas when they came in with their kids, uh, the kids were really having a good time with it too. So I took a lot of excitement out of that. That was that was a pretty cool yeah. and unexpected result we were getting. That is cool. Yeah. So uh, man, Iceland. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful country. Now, now I'm like,
0: man, I want to talk about Iceland. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I went there once to cover games uh, uh, when I was, you know, in my former life as a game
3: journalist. Yeah. But I always loved it. Uh, and it's very it must have sparked a lot of imagination for you it's a gorgeous country and and it's it's fascinating you know and, and and i would say to anybody who's thinking about going you should it's a it's a beautiful place to visit and you shouldn't worry too much about whether you go in the summer or the winter they have very different things going for them right if you go in the summer you have like 20 hours of daylight, right? So people are stumbling out of bars at like 10 a.m. It's, it's amazing, right? Um, whereas if you go during the wintertime, you basically have 20 hours of night every day, but you'll get the northern lights and you'll get yeah. a lot of other natural beauty that you won't get. Um, and if you go to Iceland, definitely get, to, get outside of Reykjavik and go into the wilderness. Yeah. I mean, you know, Reykjavik's a great city and it's a fun place to be. And it's, you know, like a third of the country lives there now. It's like a 320,000 person country. It's just not very big. But you get outside and you get into, that's what Iceland really is, right? Once you get outside of that, you get into the, the wilderness, the mountains, the snow, the quiet. It's, it's amazing. Sold. Yeah. yeah, I could talk about Iceland for a long time, too. It smells
0: <laughs> like sulfur. I do remember that, being like, oh, it's very... It's just out like the 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 showers smell like it. Everything does because it's all everything is geothermal yep. heat and stuff. Which hmm. is, I, and you're right. It just it, just the scenery of the uh, waterfalls to the mountains. Everything it just feels raw and new. Even though it's it's not like uh, you know tropical raw and new like like a, a Hawaii that was built you know from from the volcanic for things rising. It's northern, so it feels yeah. it's so
3: strange. It's beautiful, and and the Icelandic people are are very interesting as well. They joke about the fact that they heat the country by poking holes in. Volcanoes, you know, just sort of as a, a nod to their adventurous spirit. Yeah, and, uh, they're like fire giants. Yeah, yes, they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah, just being in Iceland just inspires a lot of your fantasy gaming thoughts. It's a very beautiful, unspoiled wilderness in a lot of places. Nice.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, so what was it like coming back to
3: the states after that? <laughs> well, you know, it was for me. I really enjoyed the country, and I was busy working at CCP, so no problem. The kids were great. They were in the Icelandic International School, mm-hmm. which is like seventy kids inside a public school of another 300. And, and so they were fine. They were learning in English. They had classmates in English. My, my wife, I think, uh, was a little bored, right? You know, yeah. didn't speak Icelandic, uh, doesn't have a, a job at Iceland, right? It's a little different. So she was ready to come home. And I think that was a big part of the transition for us. And ultimately, as we were leaving, we sort of thought about all the places we had lived and what we might want to do and concluded we would come back to the Seattle area as where we wanted to, you know, Hunker down and let the kids go through high school before we contemplated any more moving. Okay, uh, cool. So it was a good a good reentry for me on that front, uh, and you know gave me the chance to start thinking about. What would be next, and and here we are. And, and
1: this is what was next.
3: <laughs> there, there was there was a, a, a dalliance before that. Okay. I, I did have a job uh, running publishing for Motiga in Bellevue, the studio behind Gigantic for Xbox One and Windows Ten. And uh, Motiga, you know, went through some financial issues, as many independent developers do. And that was you know part of my transition out of Motiga and helping with that. Ultimately, Motiga was acquired by Perfect World, and game looks like it's going well now. But that was really my time to say, you know what? I've been thinking about doing something for a yeah. while, and this is a good chance to do it. And so, yeah, it was really, really once it became clear in February of this year that uh, that things were going to change on, on that front, I was like, you know, it's probably time to really start this thing that I've been thinking about for a long time. Cool.
1: I love so you, it. I love the idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You mentioned yes. you were a, a, a long-term
0: uh, d player. Oh, absolutely. When did you get started? How was your, what was your introduction to, <laughs> to playing tabletop games?
3: Well, you know, it, it, I think like many people my age i'll i'll admit to being a little older right i i grew 31 up, right well a <laughs> little older than that i uh you know i i remember D D was the first exposure for me right and and it was through a friend uh a friend named donnie on my basketball team who was you know, he didn't even have the rule books at the time, but he had played with somebody who did and he would draw his own maps and color them in with magic markers and, and DM that way. And that's sort of my first exposure to the idea, but very quickly got into, you know, the d basic set, the box set. I was I, I was a little too young for the uh, the zero edition white books. Those mm-hmm. were, you know, or maybe not too young, but maybe just came across them too late. But uh, very quickly uh, onto the box sets, uh, the basic set, which I see was just inducted into the National yeah. Hall of the Toy yeah. Hall of Fame. That's, that's pretty right. cool, right? Yeah, <laughs> that was exciting to see. Yeah, uh, but that was probably my first taste of it in terms of owning the books and things. And then very quickly, I, I have to admit, my uh, my dad did a great job of fostering love of the hobby, and so he would take us to hobby shops on a regular basis. Oh, uh, that's- picked up the first edition I remember finding the players handbook I was like whoa what is this you know the, the and I became a first edition guy very quickly from there and and off and running I played I I played I think like a lot of people right I played an awful lot of first edition through elementary uh, all the way up through high school uh, second edition I kind of missed I think uh, in my own case because of what was going on in my life with college and things like that mm-hmm. uh, when third edition came out it just like took me like a rocket i was right back in it i loved i loved what was going on with the ogl and seeing all these other publishers creating things i loved the the d20 rule system i loved the skill checks i loved the crunchiness in the math uh still playing now in a campaign with a friend who just doesn't want to move off of 3.5 so we're in a 3.5 campaign right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: what i love about you know the D anD D fandom is that there's
3: you know there's it. Speaks to different people for different reasons. Yeah. But it is funny because we are now at the point in the campaign where we're all, well, we're about to be eighth level and we've been playing for about a year. Uh, Again, it's the kind of thing where once you get to be grown ups, you can't keep the weekly game, right? So it's more like a monthly game. But uh, he actually has started to think about the fact that. His sense is that, you know, now at this point in the campaign, the power scale is likely to go to a place where the wizard rules everything and everybody else is kind of spectating. And he's contemplating changing to fifth edition because he understands that to be more balanced. So so we may migrate over to that fairly nice. quickly yeah. now. So, yeah. you know.
0: And I think that is very true. The wizard ends <laughs> up doing a lot more in 3.5, especially with all the... Spell companion books uh, exactly. that you have available to you.
3: Well, and that's how I always like to play when I was younger. I was a first edition, you know, D four hit die wizard every time. You <laughs> yeah. know, I uh, you know high fatality rate, but I always loved it. Uh you know, i loved the sleep spell with no saving roll. Uh man, <laughs> I mean boy, when you got to third level and you had a web spell, that was a boss. Right. Changed exactly. Everything. And, yeah. then, you and then burn it too and then... Great stuff, right? And uh, you know, and so I, I always enjoyed that side of of D anD D, and you know, still stick with it for the most part. But uh, this time, I got convinced to be a cleric, and uh, I'm oh, trying wow. that out. It's a it's a different role for me. Going? I don't know that I'm a
1: great cleric. Yeah, I'm, I wasn't. <laughs> I tried. So, yeah. I, I just, just don't love thing. people.
3: Yeah. You know, I don't want to really good help in a them.
1: crisis. <laughs> I'm not there. I am not on the front lines. You are bleeding. You're sick. You're injured. Bye bye. I'm running. I'm, I'm running a, out. I go the other way. I'm out the door. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I do like That's why the you're a sorcerer all the time. Sorceress. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I do. I do like the. You know, I, I for the cleric. I'm running. I've tried to become sort of the the kind of cleric that maybe isn't the, the healer everybody relies on, but is one who makes the undead weep with fear, you know, just, yeah, like, a, just spiking on turning undead and, and things like that. And uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's different when you run into other monsters, but I like to think I've got, you know, yeah, I got this yeah. when the undead show up. It's no big problem.
1: Yeah, I always <laughs> felt weird, like I didn't have... You have a limited number of healing, and I'm like, oh, don't. Should I use it? Like, is this, are you is this guy really worth like, it? How, like, how bad are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's we always still the got a long time to go. I, you know, it was just too hard to ration
3: my heels. Totally, I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, were you always in
0: uh, game design, or 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 the or the gaming industry?
3: Uh you know, for the most part, that's true. I mean, I think. Uh, well, after college, I uh spent four years in the military, um, so that was a little different than, than all that. But there's a lot of a,
0: gaming in there. I mean. Oh, yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. And, and it's funny, too, because I was stationed in Korea for a year, and... You know that was. I guess we're getting to the point where you know, second edition's been out for a while. At that point, Um, this was the early mid '90s when I was when I was in the military in Korea, and I remember going to the bookstore on base and just seeing just racks of Ravenloft and Dark Sun, and and like you're, you're you're out there without a whole lot else going on. So yeah, I was just buying everything and and caught up quickly on what second edition was all about when I when I got back and you know after 4 years in the military i then went to graduate school uh, got my mba and then had a couple years in running my own dot com uh a company called we actually talked with wizards about a few things back then um it was a company called next planet over where we sold comic books Uh, action figures games toys apparel and that sort of thing and we were doing some discussions with wizards and then something happened this game called pokemon came Um, out and like you couldn't get anybody at wizards to return a call and then hasbro bought the company right so like we were we were having discussions but like everything got very busy uh when when pokemon took off Mm. um So after after Next Planet Over got acquired, I ended up spending a couple years as a consultant and then went to Microsoft. And that's where I got into Xbox. And it's been almost 20 years now in the front line of video games uh, between, yeah, Microsoft, some time with Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta on their GameTap business. Oh, wow, okay. uh, A few years with NCSoft uh, on all their MMOs, a couple years with Tryon where we launched Rift, and then CCP, and then Motiga, and now Meta Arcade.
0: Fantastic. So, do you think that your uh, uh, experience with playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and being immersed in that world, kind of
3: made you into who you are today? Oh, there is no question. I mean, I, I it's funny. I you know, you think back, and I I remember things as a child. And and for example, I just remember. And again, a lot of contemporaries of mine probably are the same in that I remember my father just having this bookshelf packed with fantasy paperbacks, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, you know, it was always a little dense for me to read through these giant things when I was when I was at that age. But uh, my father was very encouraging about me getting into Dungeons and Dragons. And and there's no question that, you know, after a few years of you know working in real jobs, right, and, and learning a bit about the fundamentals of, of the video game industry, it was like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, in, the industry kind of took a turn where I would say kind of, you know eh, you know, up to the turn of the century, most of the people who were professionals in the industry were technical designers, artists. They had created games and they built studios around them and such. Um, that was not me, right? You know, I never was that kind of a talent, and, and perhaps that's why I glommed on a meta arcade as a way to channel my talent of no artistic and not much technical talent anymore, <laughs> right? My passion. But, uh, but in in going through that process, right, uh, it, it occurred to me. It was like, well, wait a minute. You know, I, I've got a business background now. I've I've done a lot of interesting things. There is probably a way for someone like me to make a living in games, mm. and that's how I ended up at Microsoft. And just haven't ever wanted to leave the industry ever since. Nice, I mean, it's a blast. It it you know it, it it's like any industry, right? And there are ups and downs, and there are good cycles, and there are bad. But at the end of the day, if you can't have fun in the games business, it might be you. It might not right. be the business, <laughs> yeah. right? You
0: know, it's kind of hard not yeah. to have fun. But. Speaking of, of, of having fun at Microsoft, what can you tell us about uh, any
3: good stories about Nathan Stewart that you might want to divulge on air? Is that
1: how you know Nathan?
3: I do know Nathan from Xbox. That's exactly right. We tell were colleagues us, there.
1: Tell, he'll never – he doesn't listen to them.
0: No, you don't think so? <laughs> fans, fans of Dragon Talk will remember when, uh, when Nathan was on, so
3: you'll know a little bit who we're talking about. Okay. Yeah. No, I mean, look, Nathan, you know, we – when I was there at Xbox, I started originally on the PC game side of the business, and then there was a, a big transition. And it's funny, like, I, I actually briefly met Chris Cox, and then he transitioned out of Xbox to Windows and, you know, never really saw him again. Nathan stayed with Xbox. And... The way the organization transitioned, Nathan became part of what was the U.S. subsidiary, and I was part of the global marketing team. Prior to that, they had been one team doing the whole thing, mm-hmm. and that reorganization that happened—you um, know—they they made two different organizations, right? So Nathan sat in the U.S. subsidiary; I sat in the global marketing team, and of course, you know, it was kind of weird because. With other subsidiaries, they are in different offices in different countries, right? Whereas the U.S. subsidiary is just down the hall. And they're the biggest one, right? They're your biggest market, and they're super important. So there was a lot of good collegiality there, a lot of cooperation, a lot of figuring out how to, how to win. And, you know, we were going into – it's, it's hard, to for, hard to forget for me when I started at Xbox – we were just getting killed right i mean it was playstation 2 was outselling yeah. nintendo and microsoft 3 to 2 combined uh you know, and the I mean, Xbox was positioned at this upstart, being like,
0: "What is what? Did, you know, yeah. And, and how we, dare they get into this exactly?" Thing. And we, <laughs> we,
3: you know, we did not have the same great content array that others did, and and in particular, when I started, that was the year uh, Grand Theft Auto Three came out, yeah. and it just it was like, "Wow, you know, this is how are we was ever going to catch For a lot of uh, of
0: my my peers uh, in, the, in that area, and then it wasn't until really Halo, really, that that was. That for Xbox.
3: Yeah. Halo, Halo, the original Halo gave Microsoft and and the original Xbox a good start, but it was Halo 2 that all of a sudden it was a bit of a phenomenon with Xbox Live and such. And so when, when I'm at Xbox and, and Nathan's in that part of the US sub and, you know, a lot of people we work with are, are still in the area, you know, this was the this was the mantra time to turn Xbox into a more broadly appealing thing. We we had we had gotten a real core audience of people who loved the the power of the original Xbox, who, you know, it was speeds and feeds that got to them. It was, well, every, every Xbox has an 8-gigabyte hard drive and an Ethernet cable. And, you know, I mean, that was pretty impressive stuff at the time. But going into what became the Xbox 360, it was a challenge to, like, well, we need to make this thing more broadly appealing. We can't just win on on technical power. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, Nathan and guys on that team were super important towards getting, you know, Especially in this market, right, especially in the US where, you know, we felt like we should be able to do better because we're here uh, to resonate with a larger group of people than we had been able to with the original Xbox. So it was a lot of partnership on that front, a lot of marketing partnerships, a lot of, you know, Community and social media were just sort of getting started in right. that era. Uh, you know, you you had just had your first. It was the first time I ever worked with a community team. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. even know what that was before. Before we were getting serious into that. Nice. Uh, well,
0: these all sound like really happy and positive things. Like
3: what's <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> what's the real the real
0: <laughs> the real dirt about Nathan that we really
3: wanted? to Yeah, write? I wish I had something for well, you. I Ryan would love to edit it, things yeah. out. No, <laughs> tell us. I don't I just? There's not not a lot of bad stuff to tell. <laughs> oh you know? man. Were you playing Dungeons and
0: Dragons uh, uh, with Microsoft folks
3: at the time? In fact, I was. Yes, there was. We did have a third edition campaign running, and uh, for a while, I ran part of it as well. I took I took over myself for a bit there. Uh, Nathan was not in that team. Uh, I'm trying to think of yeah nobody nobody who's a Wizards alum was was in there either. Uh, But uh, well, that's not true. I originally got a chance to play with uh, with Johnny Wilson, um, who uh, was the editor in chief of Computer Gaming Magazine for a while. Right, so he was running a campaign. I think he moved several years ago, but uh, that might be a name that that people recognize. Yeah, um, as as a uh, you know, what's what's the word? Legendary might be too big, but maybe not. Right, you know, very uh, very well renowned in in the space. Infamous. In, infamous, famous, <laughs> more mm-hmm. than famous. He's yeah. infamous. Terrific, terrific guy. <laughs> so, but yeah, a good third edition campaign then, and that was uh, yeah, that was even before fourth edition even came out. Right. right. So right. Good, good times there for sure. Very cool. So um, he's not giving us any. Time. No, I know. Moving we just have, on. We have to make something up. If you're <laughs> like,
0: well, off mic. Yeah, uh, David told us some, some really, really good stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah,
1: let's do that. Yeah, all
3: right. We'll make it up. Okay. Yeah, well, you as, might
1: be getting a call from Nathan.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'll just. I don't know what they're talking about, Nathan.
1: <laughs> off the record, they told me it was off the record. <laughs> okay, so here's the part where I ask some. Really stupid questions. Ooh. Just to prove that I don't have, I'm not that technical. Although today on WordPress, I Googled how do I single space? And I found my answer. So there you go. I You're am learning. very savvy. You know how to when use it comes to Google. Um, So when will people be able to start uploading their own original content into the engine? Sure. When will that happen?
3: What it's looking like is that in Q1, we should be able to open up a sneak peek of the content platform, right? So that, you know, we have a big plan right now of getting, like I said, getting the sneak peek of the prototype adventure now so people can get a sense of this experience and start thinking about what their own will be in Q1 and you know, we'll be attending Pack South in San Antonio and maybe be able to give a, a demo of it there and then start bringing creators in. And I think we'll start with people who have already done some writing of their own mm-hmm. and so who are ready to sort of give this thing a spin through its paces and, and make sure it's working. That'll probably be as we go through Q1 and then into Q2. I would hope by the end of Q2, we've gotten that thing honed enough that we can start opening it up more broadly to to basically anybody. And, you know, the first system we've got is Tunnels and Trolls, and it's a perfect system for this because it really was the RPG that pioneered these solo adventures and this idea of of what we're doing in the moment-to-moment experience. But it is something that ultimately, you know, any rule system can work, right? You know, as long as, as it lends itself to narrative storytelling as being one of the things that drives the yeah. the game and the adventure, uh, there's no reason why there couldn't be more. And so those are discussions we continue to have as well about what might be next. And so the first creators, it will be creating fantasy adventures for Tunnels and Trolls, or, you know, I guess you could do different genres. It wouldn't have to be fantasy. But ultimately, the goal would be to have other games as well. Okay. Interesting.
1: Okay. But original. Like people, so when people are, are doing original content, are they doing it for Tunnels and Trolls or just their
3: ah, own? That's how it would start. Okay. Right? And then certainly as we bring more games in, then opening all those up. Okay. But there's like no. they can have their
1: own world. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah.
3: There's nothing honing you in to, uh, to being to doing a troll world adventure in Tunnels and Trolls, if you will. The rule system is kind of under the hood. Uh, and and ultimately, you know, there's any number of genres that this makes sense for. It, you know, it doesn't have to be fantasy, science fiction, Western romance, horror. It could be anything. All this okay. stuff can work.
0: And you it, mentioned there would be like this uh, uh, library of or gallery of art that people could use to import it.
3: Can you upload your own art as Absolutely. As well? Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. And And part of the thinking here is, is once again, if you – as somebody creates an adventure and then somebody plays it and ultimately buys it and, and money is shared, if you are – if you are writing it and creating all the art or using art in the archive, that's great. But there maybe is other art that you want to bring in that that maybe some famous artist has contributed. Well, that each time you're an adventure with with. Let me say it differently. Let's say you're an artist and you contribute your art to the archive. Anytime somebody uses your art, you're going to get a share of that as well. Right? Oh. So, oh, so you can profit off of the parts of your adventure in addition to your actual adventure that you're exactly. so if you write. So if you're an artist who's done a ton of work over the years and you've got this library of stuff, you can cre- uh, contribute it to the archive. And anytime somebody uses it and an adventure is sold with that art in it, you're going to get a share of that. Wow. Same cool. thing with the uh, audio engineers, right? If you've created music, if Ryan, you've created soundtracks, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) there's 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 a thought to that as well right that you know you can as an adventure creator you're browsing through an archive of art you're listening through an archive of audio and Mm -hmm. you're like ooh this is the sound effect i want for the landslide this is the roar i want for the dragon this is the you know the sound of the troll getting hit by a sword that i want those kinds of things come into play and i guess most importantly i should say you know a lot of people who have been interested in this idea have said that they You know, they like this as an opportunity to get published for the first time potentially, right? And, And one of the things that we are making clear is that if you create something here, you create your own world and characters and plot and things, that's yours, right? We don't have any encumbrance on it at all. And so if you want to go out and write your screenplay or a novel or make an action figure on your character, whatever, that's all yours, right? You've built your audience, hopefully, and made some money selling adventures through Meta Arcade. But this isn't a relationship where, oh, and now we own your intellectual property and we interfere with what you do. No, not not at all. It is very similar. Uh, like I say, the inspiration is to think about a, you know, a streamer on Twitch or, or a blogger on WordPress, right? Those are just platforms that help you create content and get it out there. But we do not get in the way of your ownership. And so, you know, you're not, you're not selling your, your your baby to to get something going on this right right that makes sense and then i'm
0: sure you'd have protections in place for like uh uh uh, you know if people are uploading stuff that isn't theirs you'd have ways that yes you'd be able to police that
3: yeah and this is this is part of the complexity of it right because you know ideally this becomes something where you know things are big enough that people can actually make a living (laughs) you know writing adventures in the same way people make a living blogging on wordpress or streaming on twitch as you approach that our thinking is we'll start with a very manual creation curation process, right, where we'll look at things and we'll start to see the patterns on how people are submitting stuff. And as things scale, we'll begin to automate it more. We'll probably crowdsource a certain amount of it, you know, as people upvote and downvote things, as people call out, oh, this has a lot of i don't know profanity plagiarism hate speech whatever right as that stuff starts to circle in we can hone in on okay these are the kinds of things that we need to be watching for more carefully here are the patterns we'll put in we'll you know put automated systems that will detect this and you know before things get published publicly then we can stop that from happening but that's absolutely important i mean it's an intellectual property business right you have to take the utmost care of of people's intellectual property whether it's companies you're licensing from or the individuals you're creating content absolutely i just love the idea that this just taps into you know what's what made Dungeons and Dragons great,
0: in a way, or, or RPG, you know, tabletop RPGs in general, just like oh, it's the creativity. It's the yes. you're, you're, you're telling these stories. You know, you, you not don't always have the ability to have a gaming group be able to tell all the stories that you want to be able to tell. So here's a way you can try out new things or just get that across, and and you know, even retell campaigns that you might have played 20 years ago and 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 get it across. In, in Absolutely, a new way.
3: and it's great to hear that because that that is sort of the you know kind of the seed of the inspiration on my part, mm-hmm. right? It's just uh you know all like everybody right i've still got old spiral notebooks of of you know <laughs> dog-eared pages of things i wrote up that yep. Maps that you made yeah and and i mean i'm i'm never going to get to a point where i can make a computer or video game out of that right unless i you know go raise a bunch of money and hire a bunch of people right and 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 i've i've sort of looked at that side of the business pretty closely over the past two decades and and just feel like this is a more interesting way of focusing in on narrative right rather than sort of spending so much effort on you know on the things that are really expensive in in making games why not just make a, a sort of a, a thin layer of technology that is flexible and extensible enough to let people write all these stories right and and bring them out and uh, and and look i think lots of people have always had that dream of getting an adventure published by by wizards you know being yeah. making an official dungeons and dragons adventure right <laughs> exactly <laughs> and 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 you know we're not all going to be able to do that but but once again just like anybody can use wordpress to type up their blog i'd like to think anybody can put an adventure on our platform and see what happens right yeah, maybe yeah. maybe nobody likes it and at least you know and you gave it a shot and you got published and you know maybe you know maybe this becomes your new job right that yeah. you're able to make a living through something like this it's a uh, to me it's it's the you know the urge to express something creatively that I personally would not be able to do on my own. You know, I, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, do. you you come up with an idea to solve your own problem. This one's <laughs> been itching at me for a decade now. <laughs> Very
0: cool. So where can people find out more uh, about
3: Meta Arcade? Yeah, well, the best way to do it, uh, to keep in the know, is to follow us at Meta Arcade on Facebook and Twitter, and to check by the news page at metaarcade.com. We're taking applications, uh, registrations, I guess is a better term, for, for the sneak peek in the early access. So if people haven't signed up yet, they just pop over to the site, put in an email on the website, and you'll be hearing from us soon. Very cool.
0: Yeah. And uh, do you want to give any insight where people can find out
3: about you and and all of your your travels? (laughs) Do you have a personal Twitter you want to plug as well? I am on Twitter. Of course I am. Uh, And my Twitter is at Pocathulu. And I may have to spell that.
1: Yep,
3: you do. P-O-K-E. Thulhu. So it's kind of a Pokemon Cthulhu thing. It's a, por- <laughs> it's a portmanteau.
0: Right? It's exactly yeah.
3: what it is, and in fact, it's a game uh, that was made by uh, John Kavalik many years ago. Right, he oh, was the right. illustrator for it, where it was sort of that idea of Pokemon with a uh, uh, decidedly eldritch horror bent to it. <laughs> oh, um, nice. It just charmed me from the beginning, and. You know, it's my gamer tag on Xbox Live and it's my Skype handle, and I've just been able to use it a few places. So nice. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Yeah. Well, you're going to get an influx of followers now, I'm sure. Hey, that wouldn't be a bad thing. And if, <laughs> if people have ideas about what we should be doing with this platform, we want to hear it. I mean, this is, Uh-oh. you know, this Bloody is the audience. Open. Yeah, get it on the, on the ground. Floor. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, excellent.
0: I think that's really interesting. I think a lot of our uh, our, our our listeners are going to want to figure out how they can tell their own stories uh, using know, this, this make platform. I to a
1: mobile game. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to do it. I, I think I might too.
3: Oh, I would love that.
1: That would be fun. That's oh my great. God.
0: And I'll
3: share it with you, and then you can share it with me.
1: Okay, <laughs> buy my game, and I'll buy yours. I'm not going to buy it. Eh? Oh, Tweedo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man. Uh, we'll get to how you can gift uh, games back and forth. <laughs> I just, later. just this is a new idea. Thank you. I got to do something. Clearly, with that. clearly yeah. we exactly. need to gift
3: things. Yeah. well, you know, every pub- I'm in a barter economy over here. <laughs> yeah. Everybody who publishes their book gets a few copies, right? I mean, That's there's true. there's a model there. Yeah, yeah, this is that hard to sense. do.
0: We'll talk to Bob Salvatore. He knows how to there we work go. on that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming to stop by.
3: Uh, thanks for having me. This was a blast. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of fun to it's come a... and walk around and see all the art and the people and, and to talk about Dungeons & Dragons. It's a blast. It's what we do all day long here. Well, maybe just... we'll have you on again. Ooh, well, that'd be we great. we get
1: closer to, to launching.
3: Someday. I like the sound of that, yeah. yeah okay. So
0: 2018, hopefully uh, uh, midway, we'll be able to see it. 2018, yeah. 2017. 2017. It's not uh, 2017 yet. Sorry. You're yeah.
1: you're just really I'm trying to make these years go back <laughs> fast. <laughs> 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 I know. 2020. <right>? These next few years. <laughs>
3: Ginsburg, oh, no. so yeah, sorry. Right. No, You're not oh, alone. God. I think a lot of people are ready for 2016 <laughs> to be over. Exactly, <laughs> it's been it's been a year, but yes. mid 2017, I think okay. I think we'll have All more right. stuff to well, we
1: see We have cool stuff to look forward to.
0: I'm I'm I, I love it.
1: The future just got brighter. Oh, a little bit.
0: <laughs> even though it's dark outside. All right, thanks, David. <laughs> Thank you guys. Okay. Thanks, David. Bye bye. Uh, I think that's a really cool idea for writers to be able kind to of. jump into meta arcade and and make something like it's that.
1: Such a good idea.
0: Yeah. I think it's worth you know quitting your job or like, you know, moving on from where you were to do something like this. It's like
1: the DM's Guild. It is like the DM's Guild. Games. Yeah, I was thinking like, about that too. Take those, those uh, DM's Guild adventures. Now you have a yeah. new platform to put them on.
0: But without, you know, uh, uh, you needing to do layout or know, any of that. I that's the, what I like about it. You know, things about it. It's like all, all done for you. Stuff. Plus, your friends can like play it while they're... You know, waiting in line somewhere. I yep. mean, that's mobile games. They can play it
1: while they're sitting right next to you, not talking to you,
0: and giving you feedback, <laughs> like variety mm, couple Not soon, I don't know mm, about this. Yeah, mm. can you change this word? Mm. That's what I would do if you give me yours. So No,
1: nope. Well, yeah, give you. Give plans. you. <laughs> Clearly, I have to. <laughs> Thanks for your support. I
0: I support all Thanks. any and all. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. Uh, I I love having uh, guests actually in the the, uh, yeah, it the makes room. A big difference. It makes it yeah, and I I. I love it. I, don't know. I want yeah. I want more. I want more out of David. All right. Um, well, he so, seems
1: willing to come back and talk to
0: us. Sweet. Shelly, what is a way for people to get in touch with uh, us?
1: Twitter?
0: Yes, we can use Twitter. Yes. That's how you pronounce it in Mother Russia. <laughs> Twitter. 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 Uh, I am at Greg Tito. Mm-hmm. Where are you?
1: I'm at Shelly Moo.
0: And uh, Dungeons & Dragons is at... Wizards underscore D-N. The, uh, we can't put ampersands in there. So it's D N D Right. Uh, you can always leave uh, some amazing reviews and or ratings on iTunes. That always helps out. We're also on Google Play now. Oh. So you can do those. Re- I don't got even, a little do they have, uh, <laughs> that, was <muppety. laughs> that was good. <laughs> As <laughs> now it's Yoda a bit. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know if those have uh, uh, discoverability things. I should probably do some more podcast type research on that. Okay. But yeah, no, just yeah. let us know what you think. Recommend Ideas for guests. guests. We've it gotten some great ones and in, we're scheduling them in 2018 <laughs> right now. <Greg's
2: laughs> I mean, for 2017. It ahead.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it'll be Future 2020 uh, and uh, we are going to be voting for Elizabeth Warren. Oh. All right.
2: Your
1: lips.
0: My lips, making it happen. Make it happen. Thanks, you guys, for listening to Dragon Talk. We'll be back next week with a fantastic installment. Bye-bye.
1: (laughs) Bye-bye. 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 Hi, Ryan.
0: You want cookies. (laughs)
1: Oh, Ryan, you look like you need a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it never rains <laughs> in California. It's
0: right here.
1: <laughs> Don't they warn ya? <laughs>